Welcome to Aggravating Circumstances, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Laura Ceremi. This is episode eight of season two, The Fist Fight. This is an ongoing story, so if you're just getting started, I recommend you hit pause, go back to the first episode of this season. We will wait for you. This podcast does include adult content, so please use caution. That only works that with the whites, where I'm the first one called, so, you know, that don't work. Because initially, their mindset is, <clears throat> it, obviously, the black person is the one that's causing the problems. They will harass us. They will find us. They will stop us. They will pull us over, all because of the lawsuit. So it's always been a target on our family back. You're not coming up in here unless you have a warrant. You know, it's just certain things. They just added out for us. It's it's an ongoing thing with them. They are constantly... It, it got so bad between us and the police that they would have to send a state trooper alone with the police when they came to my home. They're using the fact that me and him got into a fist fight uh, a week earlier as... You know, a, a view of, oh, I came there to do harm to him. It was like, dude, he, he was going to go get his guns to try to kill Elijah. The truth is they were going to kill my brother. On April 12, 2016, Elisha Baxter was stabbed in the chest by a man who we're calling D. D then chased after Elisha's friend with the same knife that he had just stabbed him with, the friend we're calling Mr. B. While he was chasing Mr. B, Elisha retrieved a gun from his truck and then shot D, killing him. D was found dead by police, still clutching the knife in his hand. Elisha was then prosecuted, charged with, and convicted of second-degree murder. This is Florida. This is the original stand-your-ground state. And yet, he lost his stand-your-ground hearing and was then prosecuted for second-degree murder. It's interesting that the prosecutors tried to make everything hinge on who started it and then the fact that Elisha could have run away. After he'd been stabbed, he could have just left at that point. And there's so many things that play a role in this that I want to talk about a few of them. But it's interesting what a big deal they tried to make out of who started it. And to me, it doesn't really matter. For example, in a previous episode, we talked about the case of Pierce versus State. Pierce was attacked by a man named Bemben who threw a beer can in his face and assaulted him. And then Pierce killed Bemben and was then convicted. Pierce didn't start it. There was no question that Pierce didn't start it. Bemben started it. But in the end, Pierce still went to prison. So legally, I'm not sure why that even makes a big difference. But 
I will say that there's quite a bit of backstory with this. And one of the things that happened in the trial that I think really probably hurt Elisha's defense was they mentioned that Elisha and Dee had gotten into a fist fight a couple weeks prior to this incident. That's all they said. They said there'd been a fist fight. They didn't say why. They just kind of left it hanging out there. And if I'm on the jury and I'm like, wow, these guys had a beef, right? Like they, they got into a fight. Elisha won the fight. So now Dee's been beaten up by Elisha. Maybe he's got a bone to pick with him. So, okay. So if that's the case and now Dee wants to pay back Elisha for kicking his ass, who started it? Did it start because two weeks earlier Elisha had had a fist fight with him? Or, and now Dee wants to get him back? Or, you know, is this an ongoing thing because of the fist fight? And the problem is they don't ever explain what happened. Like, wh- why did they have a fight? Like, what was that about? To me, the fact that they never explain that makes me think that. There's something really, really bad that we should know about. For example, Dee had a significant, extensive criminal record and was a known drug dealer. He'd been convicted of assault. He'd been convicted of burglary. Elisha had a clean record. Elisha had never been in trouble. But the jury doesn't know that. They don't know either one of those. They know that these two got into a fight at a bar and one of them was stabbed and one of them was shot and one of them is dead and they'd had some fight earlier. And to me, the way it was portrayed makes it sound like this was some kind of gang violence. They And, and I hate the term thug. It makes me insane. But if I'm, you know, person on a jury, I might be like, well, these are just two thugs that are, you know, having some kind of street fight and we might as well just lock them all up. Whoever's left, right? And I will have some words from Mark Baxter about that exact topic. Before we go any further, I want you to hear Elisha's words about what that fist fight was about, because I think it's important and I think it explains a lot. And I wish the jury had heard this. And so this is some voice acting by someone in the Baxter family. And uh, very similarly to me and my sister, we uh, sound almost identical. If she got on the podcast, you would have a hard time telling which one's which. But we were fortunate enough to have someone to do some voice acting for me to bring us uh, Elisha's statement. So without further ado, here is what Elisha had to say about that fistfight. See, but they're using they're using the fact that me and him got into a fist fight a week earlier as you know a, a view of oh I came there to do harm to him. But see, in reality, that's that bar is where I normally hang out at, and uh, the witnesses testified to the fact that I'm there all the time. And he and they testified that the alleged victim does not come there all the time. And being that they testified to that, they should have known that this guy was knowing that I was going to be there. He, see, you know, they, you know, my my lawyer, I don't understand why 
my lawyer never told the whole entire story of why we even got into a fist fight in the first place. You know, that I, that I really don't understand. This guy did a whole lot of things. He robbed my uh, one of my brothers and stripped him butt naked. And when he did that, because I think my brother had owed him money because my brother's a, a crackhead. One of my brothers, he's a crackhead. And he owed him money for dope or whatever. And when he, my brother, he robbed my brother. He took his shoes. He took his wallet. He took his phone. And I understand, you know, rob him, take your money. But don't take more than what is owed to you, you know. So when he did that, you know, I approached him and asked him to buy everything back. Of course, I can't buy the money back. You can have the money. Let me get his shoes. Let me get his, his phone. And, you know, we had disagreements. And then we ended up fighting. I never got the stuff back. We ended up fighting. I ended up winning the fight, of course. And I left it as that. You know, I felt like I won. I felt like it was over with. But then after a week later, I go back and I go to the bar to hang out. And he's there, you know, and, you know, the whole week that I wasn't there, he was looking for me and asking people, you know, tell me, oh, he's looking for me and to come find him and all this other stuff, you know, and I'm like, bro, I'm not, I'm not finna come find you, bro. I'm not finna go where you want me to go. I'm not, you know, I'm, I just felt like it's over with. So, you know, me just thinking that is over with in a sense that, you know, cause I'm not going to go looking for problems. He is, you know, I go to the bar and then he's there and I wanted to leave so bad, but uh, my friend was like, who like, you know, let's just get this over with because he's keep trying to find you this and that. Let's just get it over. If you want to fight again. Okay. And let's fight. So after we fight and all that stuff like that, I'm, in the no after, after we fight now all the stuff is over with i get out of the hospital i go to jail his family shoots up my mom's house shoots the house up while i'm in jail three days three days of me being in jail it shoots the house up my mom's in there my dad's in there my nieces and nephews are in there and what i don't understand is why didn't my lawyer say all of this you know his character they're, they're making his character look like oh he's some kind of innocent i'm pretty sure he was a great dad you know i'm pretty sure he was but this guy was not innocent the way they tried to make him out to be i was rather shocked when i heard that story elisha's brother was stripped robbed and beaten up by his drug dealer because he owed him money and Elisha went to try to at least get his shoes and his phone back and he was not able to get either one and instead wound up getting into a fist fight and then thought the matter was resolved so this wasn't even a beef with Elisha and D that was about his and I'm using Elisha's words his crackhead brother and so my question was, well, why didn't he come to court and explain this? And of course, he said he has no idea. You know, like his attorney didn't do that. And defense strategy is complicated. And I understand 
trial strategy can be extremely complicated, but I think that at least knowing what the fight was about and that it wasn't, oh, like rival gang members or territory about drugs or all the negative things that you could assume that it was if you're sitting on that jury, I think knowing what it was actually about could have made a big difference. And Elisha's brother, Mark, also had some more information about what was happening that day. And so I'm going to return to more of the interview that I had with Mark. We'll go into some more details about April 12th of 2016. So how did you first hear about what happened to Elisha? Um, I got a phone call and then it was saying it was I got a call. Um, I was actually at work. I got a phone call and said uh, Elijah was stabbed and in critical condition. I immediately dropped what I was doing and I was like, I have to go home. So I immediately went. I, uh, me and my sister, uh, we got on a plane and we immediately went home to go be with our brother. So yeah, that's how I heard. That's how we heard about it. We got a phone call. And those are the worst. Let me tell you, <laughs> those are the worst calls you can ever get. You know, I don't know if he's if he's if he's alive. I don't know if he's going to survive. I don't you know, you don't know what's going to happen. But nevertheless, under no circumstances should a man who had had to who had who had to defend him and his person uh, the way he had to. And it's a clear shot with the video. You can see it. And then okay, I, this is what I don't understand. How are you you're going to determine a person's frame of thought? based off what a person looks like do you not understand I, I want to know okay because i was all, uh, um I, I i didn't add this part in there, but i was also shot okay when i got out what okay tell me more so let me tell you so i'm you know i'm out trying i'm out i'm free i'm trying to do the big brother let me gather everybody together let's go play basketball so we picked south dave park which is known for being peaceful, quiet, mostly white people around there. Um, it's peaceful, quiet, you know, neighborhood park. And we're playing our best basketball. We're playing basketball and everything. And um, some guy, and here's the crazy part. There was a police chief. The, the, the police chief was there. The police chief was there and he had his basketball camp there. His little, little bunch of little kids eight nine year old kids and he had his basketball camp there the guy comes up while we're playing basketball he's like oh i want i want i want i want uh i want your brother to fight my brother and i'm like no dude are you crazy dude no 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 no. so he pulls a uh 40 caliber out handgun and you know kind of forced his brother and my brother to fight so you know it 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 it, it comes down to it i'm like this guy's gonna shoot us anyways he's gonna shoot us He's going to shoot, shoot us because the fight didn't go the way he wanted it, you know. And I'm telling him, dude, no, no, bro, let's not have, let's not do that. Let's let it be, you know, and everything. And then the guy ended up tussling over the gun. Um, I, He's going to open fire on everyone out here. There's kids. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to let that happen. So I, me and the guy tussle over the gun. We tussle for a minute over the gun and the gun goes off. I get shot in the arm. I lose, uh, uh, a lot of function in my arm and everything. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's been a crazy little spin. It's been a crazy spin with our with what's been going on with our family. Holy um, shit. And my my point of bringing that up is this. 
Here's my point of that. If you have never suffered a life-threatening, how would you say, a wound or a life-threatening uh, uh, situation of bodily harm, then you you can't sit here and judge on how someone else is supposed to act in that situation. That's impossible. And 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 I will understand if he had uh, jur- the jury of his peers, like such as someone who was in there who had some some type of situation like that happen. They understand, you know, what it takes to like uh, slow your heart rate down. You have to slow your heart rate down to stop your blood from flowing. You have to totally bring yourself to a a, 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 a calm state, relaxed, to, so you don't bleed out until you make it to the hospital. When all that stuff is happening, you can't say what someone is thinking. That's tunnel vision. You're in you're in protect mode, and there is actually a term for that. It's called the it's called the fight the fight or flight response. The acute stress of our response is a physical reaction to that that occurs in response to perceived harm harmful event attack or a threat to survival. So that is something that happens to the human body once you're you you something like that happens to you. You, you, you're just trying to survive. It's crazy too. Cause I timed on the video from the time he gets stabbed until you can hear gunshots and it's 10 seconds, 10 seconds. I did not know that. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, if you, if you listen to what the prosecutor says during the trial, they're saying, oh, you know, like there was no longer a threat and he'd stopped chasing his friend and, you know, everything was already over and, you know, and then, you know, and then he just murdered him. And it's like, um, no, 10 seconds isn't even long enough for him to realize how hurt he is. You know, <laughs> like he's gushing blood out of his chest. He, you know, he, uh, he sees the guy chasing the other guy with a knife that he just stabbed him in the chest with. Like, I don't understand how they, well, I do understand, but they, they turned it into the Rodney King video mm-hmm. where with Rodney King, they, and I don't think you were born yet, but I was. And with Rodney King, it was like the gaslighting of the world of, of, of all of America because they hit him 56 times. He had brain damage, broken teeth, broken ribs, fractured skull, internal organ damage, and what they did in the trial is they like freeze framed it and they like backed it up and slowed it in show motion and backed it up and freeze framed it again and said, look, every time they hit him, he tries to get up. So they have to hit him again. And they, and they turned it into something that it wasn't. And the jurors said, Oh, he was in charge of what was happening. Like if he had stopped trying to fight back, then this wouldn't have happened. And it's like, but. He was never fighting back. He was on the ground the whole time being beaten nearly to death. And they turned it into something it wasn't. And that's what they did to Elisha. They're like, oh, well, you know, like he stopped chasing the guy. So then the threat was over. So he shouldn't have chased him and shot him. Right. It was 10 seconds. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh, the whole thing offends me so much. Right, and I and I think that's what made um, Elisha decide. Hey, you know what? It's time for us to get bare arms. I'm gonna go get me because he was he's legal. He can do it. You know, he has that right because he after seeing me almost died. I went on. I was on the table flight. Um, they had to airlift me, oh, and I was 
on the operating table for the first surgery was 15 hours. Oh my goodness. 15 hours. I was on it. It took, it took approximately 15 to 20 minutes for us to get from that park to Homestead Hospital. And that whole time, I'm trying to preserve blood and keep myself, put pressure down and everything. I didn't faint out. I didn't go out until I, I actually got to the hospital. When I got to the, because the adrenaline is still pumping. Your adrenaline is still pumping. This is, uh, and I'm speaking from experience. So uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand how, 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 how they don't know these things. Your adrenaline is still pumping and, and, and it can carry you just off that. You can be carried just off that, that survival. It's like you're pumped up. It, it don't turn off like that. And I, and I, it took me 20 minutes before, before I finally was calm enough, you know, to, 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 <clears throat> to relax enough. And that's when I fainted. That's when I fainted out. So that's 20 minutes of me trying them to rushing, trying to get me to the hospital. I fainted out. And that's when they had the airlift. You can't determine how some, what somebody's mindset is when someone is, it has the, when the body has taken in that type of harm, the body is telling, telling the brain to do certain things, survive, survive is the number one thing survive. You must survive. And while you're trying to survive, you notice that the same thing is about to happen to that just happened to you, to your buddy, you know? And it's like, Elisha's seen this happen. He's seen this happen. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have a gun when that happened to me. He was right there. We were all playing basketball. Wow. He's seen this happen. So a person who's seen this happen before, he's seen this happen before, and now he's going to watch a buddy die. He like you can't expect that to happen. That's he's, he. You can't expect that to happen. You know there was no way for him to to get out of that. There he you know he he did the right thing, and that was to protect his buddy, and that that was to protect his friend. And if I'm not mistaken, if you're if you're legally allowed to carry a gun then uh, everyone everything and everybody or in your uh, around you is part of your person yeah you're you're allowed to protect yourself and others if you fear for your life from lethal force and i've actually got a, a law for a police officer who's going to do an interview for me and talk about self-defense and kind of some of the things but it's interesting because one of the things that they said at his trial what and did you did you go to his trial? No, I could not. I have to be up here in Ohio. I, I followed as close as I could. I I've been I give him the I, I stay with him. I talk to him as much as possible. Um, try to give him the best advice on everything. Yeah one one of the things they said at his trial was if he had had the gun on his person and he had been stabbed and then pulled the gun out and shot him, that they would have said it was completely justified. However, I highly doubt that. Because if he'd had the gun on his person, then they probably would have said that he went in there to kill somebody. You yes. know, like, like they would have said, no, he walked in there with a gun and like picked a fight with somebody and killed him. Mm. And they try, you know, and the whole thing came down to who started it. And they made it out that he started it, but he's not the one, like, they called him over there to talk to him. You know, like, mm -hmm. this big group of people was like, you come over here, we're going to talk to you. So it's like, how do you decide who starts it at that point? It's like, exactly. all we really know is who brought in lethal force, which was the guy with the knife, right? You know, so. He's also the one that threw the first blow. 
Yeah. The guy with the knife is the one through the first blow. And that's a very known, that's a very known move. That is a very known, that's, that's with the intent to kill. That's an intent to kill move. So you throw your blow and then you reach in your pocket and then you go for your knife. I've seen that so many times. And, and this guy, they try to paint him. Now, here's the thing. The guy, the, the guy who died, mm-hmm. I know him. But he did not know that's my brother. Oh, wow. Here's here's where the story ties. Here's where the story ties. I know him and everybody who knows him. But okay. he did not know because Elisha is not a street dude. Yeah. He, I know him simply because we wrestled together. Oh, wow. We wrestled together. Also, my buddy coaches his son. Oh, my goodness. This was not a good person. Yeah. He had a pretty it, extensive uh, criminal record. Yeah, right. And not only that, you know, the streets tell me, the street says, listen, you know, people close to him that are upset that he's dead, but they're cool with me because, and, and they, 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 they just didn't know it was, the Elisha was my brother. They was like, dude, he, he, he was going to go get his guns to try to kill Elisha. He was going to kill the brother. That's this whole story of it. He was going to kill his brother, uh, kill your brother. Well, he sure tried. Right. And that's where he was running to. He was running to his guns. Wow. That's where he was running to his guns. His buddies went and cleaned it all up after before, the you know, uh, you know, everything. Because they know where everything's at. They know where everything's at. This is not something that. That is like, this is not an innocent individual. This was a person with an intent to kill, period. This is not like a stand-up citizen that was walking around and just minding their own business and somebody killed them. No, this is a troublemaker. This is a very known dope dealer. This is a very known troublemaker. He's known everywhere. Well, and if he had, if Elisha had died... And Elisha hadn't shot him, you know he would have gone to prison for killing Elisha. Yes. I mean, like, there's, that, no, there's no question. I, you know, there's a video of him stabbing him in the chest. I mean, like, he right. would have gone to prison, period. You know, right. but instead, they sent Elisha to prison for what? Mm, wow. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter which one they take, <laughs> as long as they get one. That's how the game goes. Yeah, we don't really. We're not really here to help you guys. We just want to take one of you. If if we can get you both, that's perfect. You know, that's perfect. We can get you both. They don't care. They don't care. They're just gonna. They're just gonna run with it. And then the the, the state attorneys are gonna fabricate and make up lies and say what they want to say. They're gonna offer people deals. Um, they're gonna they're they're gonna pay their way through it. I mean, it's. I know people who was offered money. The state attorney offered certain money just for character witness against Elijah. And they come back and they tell me, bro, the state attorney reached out. They want to offer uh, me this much money if I come and do this. You know, I'm like, listen, I, I mean, dude, you you make the right choice. That's you, you know, you need to make the right choice. You, you know, uh, no matter how you feel about it, you know, no matter which side you stand on, the truth is either one of them was going to be in prison. You know, and. All those guys that were friends with D sitting underneath that tree, and you know they didn't speak to one of them? Not one. Not one. And that's my point. 
This is what I'm trying to say. The truth is they were going to kill my brother. That was D was the bait setup. D was a setup guy. Call him over, get him started, get over to a certain point, and we're going to kill him. But it backfired on him. That was the whole setup point. That was not a, um, hey, you know how you know how uh, human look at animals. They say they don't have the ability to organize. Well, the 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 uh, the uh, the system looks at black people like they don't have that uh, like or, or look at people like uh, hood people. Let's not say black. Let's say hood people and say they don't have that ability to think that far ahead. Or is it just simply they don't care? They get one and that's all that matters to them. They don't care. The truth is that was a plot. That was a whole plot. My brother would have been dead. If it wasn't for his ability to survive, think on his feet, move fast. Uh, 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 um, his friend would have been dead if it wasn't for him. He's not. He's not a, a convict. He's a hero. He saved someone else's life at the same time dying himself. Thank you for listening to Aggravating Circumstances. I hope you're enjoying this journey. Please take a moment and give us a five-star review. It really does help. Meanwhile, everyone stay safe. Don't forget your seatbelts. Don't forget those kids in the back seat. We will see you next time. I'm going to close this episode with some vintage audio from the day after the Rodney King trial from one of the jurors on NBC. On the phone with us now is one of the 12 jurors who acquitted the four policemen who beat Rodney King. We've agreed to the juror's request that their voice be distorted so as not to reveal their identity. Good morning. Good morning. Are you still convinced this morning that your decision was the proper one? Absolutely, without a doubt. No hesitation? No hesitation. For you, what was the determining factor? There was no one single determining factor. The uh, video was uh, helpful and it also was detrimental. But um, without it, it clearly showed what was going on there. The fact that uh, Rodney King was not being abused, Rodney King was directing the action. He was the one that determined how long it took to put him in handcuffs. Because as long as he fought the patrolman, the policeman had to continue to try to maintain him to keep from having more erratic, felonious actions. You, you say King controlled the action. At what point, when he was lying there taking blows, do you think he lost control of the action? He did not lose control. You don't think he ever lost control he of the action? He never lost control. The only time the action stopped was when he finally submitted to arrest. And even during the handcuffing, he was still fighting. During the process, he was laughing and uh, uttering uh, sounds. And, uh, no, he was in complete control. The mayor, the governor, even the president of the United States uh, expressed outrage after seeing the video. And for a lot of people, the video spoke for itself. 
Why didn't it speak for you? The video did speak for me. When I first saw it on the air, when this incident first occurred, I was appalled. But after you sat through the trial with all of the evidence, the witnesses, the uh, uh, everything that was there, the video too, you had to see uh, what was going on. Had Rodney King uh, gotten out of his vehicle, as he was ordered to do, um, and complied with the policeman's orders, that nothing would have happened to him. The other two gentlemen that were with him in the vehicle got out quietly and uh, were searched for weapons and were handcuffed. That's all it was. But Rodney King chose to uh, do otherwise. Do you think it would have mattered had Rodney King been allowed to take the stand? I really couldn't uh, speculate on that because that was not uh, something for us to look at. But uh, based on the evidence that was produced and given to us, provided to us, the photos uh, of Rodney King a um, couple of days after the incident that had been taken, the uh, doctors, the medical reports on his condition, um, he was not uh, that badly hurt. For, for you, what part do you think race played in the decision? Unfortunately, I think race was introduced into it, but actually, in my opinion, it had absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to do with uh, the incident. Mm -hmm. Had the man been uh, white, had he been uh, of oriental descent, had he been anything and acted as Rodney King did, he would have been given the same treatment. You, um, you were part of a jury that was composed of ten whites, one Asian, and one Hispanic jurors. Do you think you have the same sensitivity to racism that a black person might? The same sensitivity? No. We all come from different directions. Uh, we're all multi-national, uh, though. We're, none of us are one nation. Um, some of them have black blood. Some of them have Indian blood. Uh, the fact that most of us had lighter colored skin has no bearing whatsoever. Nothing. That was introduced during the trial um, in a vague roundabout fashion, but there was nothing ever, ever proven. Sure, I thank you for being with us. Much appreciated.